couple of weekends, um, we, were, we were in Yellowstone and Grand Teton Park. We've been going back there since for a long time. We hadn't been for seven or eight years, and uh, um, we had a grand time. For me, you know, I like seeing Old Faithful and all that kind of stuff. I got to go all, do all those tourists um, and, and receive those really cool things. But for me, it's all about finding the animals. Um, I mean, one, one evening in our campground um, at about 6 o'clock, a grizzly bear walked through our campground. We didn't get to see it because we were out looking for animals. <laughs> and, you know, for me, that was the prize. We saw literally hundreds of elk and hundreds of bison, and we saw wolves. That was really cool that they've been reintroduced to that area. That was pretty neat. Lots of deer. Um, we saw beavers. But for me, the prize was I wanted to see the big bad bears. You know? And they don't come wandering up to the roads anymore. It's not like it used to be when you watched The Wonderful World of Disney. They're out in the wilderness now, and you have to be in the right place in the right time. And, and so when a grizzly walked through my campground, and I wasn't there because I was out looking for animals, I thought, you know, this... But we ended up seeing lots of grizzlies and... Um, and uh, lots of really cool things. We had a grand time, and I'm ready to go back. If you've never been there, you know, I'm not, don't work for the Park Service, I'm not trying to push it, but we had a great time, and you would too. But anyway, thanks for grace for us to get away for a time of, of rest. Back to uh, where we started with this. This whole vision of, of having people mentor our lives and us being a part of mentoring is a really big deal. I want to just take a minute or two and go back and retrace some of our steps from a couple weeks ago just to make sure we're all back up to cadence. The first week, um, I was mostly talking to the next generation of people. Let's say 30-ish or so, early 30s down to late teens. And I talked with with you about what I believe are the three greatest temptations that your generation faces. And I won't, delay, I won't go into details here now, but um, I went into these temptations and the, the messages are available on the website for free. But I, I, here's what the three temptations are, I believe. I believe that your generation, the first, you're, you're tempted to feel entitled. Tempted to feel a bit entitled. And you're tempted to define truth as you see things. And you're tempted to postpone adulthood. But I also said this, that your generation is extraordinarily cause-driven, mission-minded, more so than any generations in modern history. And I, I, in Scripture, we dipped in and we, we see what Paul said to this young man named Timothy. Paul decided to mentor this young man named Timothy, and he says this to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. And then I made a declarative statement about our church that I want us all to just say, because this, this, is, this, this is a defining value, one of the defining values, I believe, for our church, and that's this. Crossroads Church will not despise our youth. We will believe in our youth, and we will tell them that we believe in them. That's really important that we do that. The second week, I shifted focus from the following generation to my generation, and maybe you know a little bit younger than me and a little bit older than me, a lot older than me, but the, the, those of us who are in the, not in that first generation, and we talked a little bit about what does culture say is success in raising children? And culture says that success is raising uh, well-rounded, well-educated, happy kids. Sounds like what, what the world says. If you're a successful parent, you've done this. Well-rounded, well-educated, and happy kids. And those things sound really good, but what does Jesus have to say in Matthew? He says, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul. And that statement by the Lord, as always, just brings balance 
to what the world would, would say in, instead. And I would say this, that our greatest calling is, that we have is to impart spiritual life to the next generation. And I gave some ways of doing that. To, I suggested we enlist supporting voices, we raise expectations, but most of all, that we keep life real. Because this generation I'm talking about, they can sniff out phony. They can sniff it. They just know it. And they do not respect it, nor will they follow it. So today is the third week in this series, and um, so I want to encourage you, if you've missed any of the other parts, just get online and, and get, get to current um, with, that, with this. And you know, it, as, as I shared those first two, I, heard, I had a lot of feedback from people. Um, I had a lot of people who said you know, they genuinely wanted to find someone to speak into their lives. They want to be mentored, this generation. In fact, most generations do. And I also heard from a lot of people who said, you know, I'm... I feel like I have something to offer. It was really exciting for me to hear those things. And I think that as a church, we're at a bit of a crossroads. <laughs> because, you know, <laughs> because I think, I think it's one thing to have really good intentions, to hear something that you buy into it and say, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Um, but if we leave it simply at having good intentions and we don't transfer those good intentions into actions, then here's the risk is this, that we could, in a lot of different ways, short-circuit what the Lord wants to do with the generation that we're supposed to be leading. And so um, I, uh, I don't want to sound overly dramatic about that, but I take it really seriously because I think it's both true and very important that we um, don't let this generation lose their faith in Christ which is what's at stake. Pretty big, pretty big stakes. So, and we can see this process of mentoring going on in the Old Testament. Moses had this wonderful vision about leading this whole nation into the promised land. He never got to do it, and, uh, but he did some things really well as a leader, and one of those things he really did well was he mentored leaders in the next generation after him, and he raised up this guy named Joshua, and when Moses di- died, eventually, there was, um, he, he, this, the, tr- the transition of leadership went very, very smoothly to Joshua. And uh, he was, he, Joshua was a great leader, too, and he got to lead the people into the Promised Land. But Joshua had one just huge, glaring failure as a leader, um, and that was this. He did not raise up the next generation. And, um, you know, when, when, when Joshua's generation died... There was this tragedy in the following generation, and we see that we read about this in Judges 2, verse 10. After that, the whole generation had been gathered to their fathers. Now, they had died. That means they died. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. That's heartbreaking. You think that through. A whole generation, they didn't know God. They didn't know that God had parted the sea. They didn't know that the entire nation was being assaulted by by Egyptian chariots and people who were going to kill them and slaughter them, and that God held them back by a pillar of fire and then opened the red. They had no idea. Can you imagine that? How could you not tell your grandchildren? How could you not tell your children to tell you? I mean, they neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And this is because of this huge weakness of leadership that Joshua had. Really a tragedy. And that's why all throughout this series, I've been saying, and I'll keep saying, all of us need a Paul. And all of us need to have a Timothy in our life. Now, now there was this wonderful relationship between the Apostle Paul and this young man named Timothy. Timothy was a really good guy. 
He had a lot of promise. He showed, you know, all this promise, but he was a little bit insecure. Timothy was. And now he had some great upbringing. He had a great, his mother was godly. His grandmother was godly. And yet he had no man speaking into his life. And along comes Paul and he decides that it's his responsibility to mentor the next generation. And, um, shows us that all of us need a Paul, someone who believes in us, and all of us need to have a Timothy, someone that we believe in. We need to all be in those two roles. And in between the two of them, this is way more than just a mentoring relationship. We'll see as we read about this some um, that uh, Paul looked at Timothy more like through the eyes of family, family, like a spiritual family. Now, Lisa and I kind of do this process a little bit. We, we like to hang out with, and we have this history um, as leaders, hanging out with and hosting in our home meetings with um, the next generation. College-age kids especially, we, you know, we come from a big church that had this huge discipleship program for college-age kids, and we would have those people into our home all the time, and, and, um, and I taught classes to them as a group, and we made intentional efforts to cross paths with these people regularly. And over time, those relationships would, would gel, and some of these young people would choose to pursue us for, for deeper relationship. And I think a number of them started to refer to us as their second mom or second dad um, because they hadn't been married yet. I guess when you get married, you, we get demoted. You get your regular mom and dad. Now you get married, you have that mom and dad. We got demoted to third. But it still, for us, was this huge honor, this huge honor that these godly young people would choose to put us into that kind of a, of a perspective that they would want to view us that way. And it's really a meaningful and rich image to Lisa and me that we would have that kind of opportunity with young people. And today I want to talk to you about how you can have that or how you can be that. Because you can have or you can be a spiritual father. Now, many of you may have had a really great dad or maybe you've not had a good relationship with your father And what I'm talking about is in no way meant to displace or replace your biological dad. Um, But I'm talking about a very significant role of spiritual, a spiritual father or mother in your life. And Paul explains this. He says in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 15, he says, Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. It's an amazing statement. Now that word guardians, um, I'm going to break that up because it's pahadagios, and it means basically a servant who, ta- who takes a child to school. So you have many, this is, this is talking about someone who maybe like um, they were hired to care for that next generation, like a nanny. Um, and so Paul was saying, you have a lot of people in your life who maybe they're teachers or coaches or instructors or people who have this influence in your life. And it's kind of a role, but that's not their calling. Here, let's read again what he says. You've had a lot of guardians, but not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I'm sending to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. Okay, so let's clarify here a little bit what he's talking about. First off, Timothy. Was Timothy his biological son? No, he was not. So what's he getting at? He says, he's saying, he says, he, Paul, Paul is writing this letter to the people. He's sending Timothy to them. And he's writing this letter of introduction to them. And he's saying, I've been like a spiritual father to you. And this one I'm sending to you is like a son to me. Treat him like that. 
And, uh, you know, that kind of language in church culture, I mean, in our church here, it's not real, real common um, where we talk about spiritual fathers and spiritual sons or daughters. Um, but some church cultures, it's extremely common. And uh, you'll hear people say, well, this, this guy is my spiritual father or he's invested in me. Um, I feel like, you know, he's invested in me like I'm his son. And there's that family dynamic. And I want you to know that you can have that. That should be the norm, not this unusual thing. That should be going on all around us all the time. You can have a spiritual father and you can have a spiritual son. Now, ladies might be saying, hey, you know, excuse me, but just a minute here, but what about us? You know, come on. Well, you can be a spiritual mother too. And you can have a spiritual mother. Um, Some great scriptures in the book of Titus on that. Titus 2, verses 3 through 5. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands, and that no one, so that no one will malign the word of God. The older women can be spiritual mothers to younger women. I, I, look, I look around like you do, and you hear the statistics about marriages falling apart, and you think, you know, how is it today that there could be so many messed up marriages? There's lots of reasons, but I can think of two that maybe we should mention here. One is I really think there are very few older women who are teaching the next generation of women how to be women of God. There just aren't a lot of them. There are, there are many present in this room, but when you look around, there are not a lot of women that take that role seriously. And the same thing, there are very few godly men coming along to the next generation of men saying things like, you know, here's how you be a man of God. Here's how you love a woman. Here's, here's how you keep your britches on and love a woman with integrity. I'm sorry, that's blunt. But I mean, there's, there are not a lot of guys that are saying that to the next generation. They're saying, here's how you love your bride as Jesus loved the church. And you can have that. You can be that. Everybody needs a Paul, a spiritual father, and everybody needs a Timothy, a spiritual son or a daughter. And you can have that, and you can be that in the family of Christ. So for the rest of our time today, I want to flip over and uh, I want to get really practical. And I want to start by giving some advice for Timothys, how to be a Timothy, how to make the most out of being a Timothy, and then we'll later talk about how to be a good Paul or Paul, Paul or Paula. How convenient it is. There's not really a Timothy. Is there a feminine Timothea? So start with some advice for Timothys. Someone, you, you, you want someone to invest in you, okay? One, if you're going to keep notes, here's item number one. You need to determine or you need to define what you're looking for. What do you need in a Paul? Now, maybe you're dating someone and you want to get married. Oh, she smells so good. She's <laughs> soft. She's godly. She's perfect, you know, and maybe you haven't had a great role model of uh, what a godly Christian family looks like. What you need is to find a a couple somewhere that's walking it and demonstrating it and say, you know, ask them some questions, let them set an example and say, here's how to have a good Christian, strong marriage in life. Or maybe, you know, I'm going to make up a couple things. Maybe, Maybe you feel called to write a book. You need to find someone who has successfully written a book and let them speak into your life about how you, how you go about doing that. Or maybe you're a new Christian 
and you're full of the love of Christ, but you are at the very beginning, and you really don't know, and you really don't understand the culture, but you know something in your heart. You just need to get closer to God. How do you go about doing that? Well, you need a good, solid Christian who will sit down with you and say, hey, start at the beginning. Let's just crack open the book of Genesis and talk about some things and and work on it. So, okay, Um, pieces of advice for Timothy's. Uh, Number two, ask questions. Listen and take notes. When you get with your Paul, you should come loaded up with your questions. I think that's the best way to start. Even write down what they say sometimes. I mean, because sometimes when I'm with people who are way smarter and wiser than me and they got all this experience, I just can't get it all, you know, I just can't record it all and remember it all. Sometimes it helps to take notes and to ask a lot of questions. Um, I'll give you an example of that. That's what the jailer did. There's this jailer in the New Testament, and um, he had locked up Paul and Silas, and God broke them out. Okay, there was a jailbreak, and God was the one that sent the little cake with the file in it. It wasn't really a cake. There wasn't really a file. God miraculously unshackled them and opened the, the prison doors. Now, the jailers spooked. You got that, right? There's a jailbreak. How did this happen? And by the way, a jailer would take this extremely seriously. If the prisoners under his charge escaped, he got to fulfill their sentence. Okay, pretty scary deal. If they were sentenced to death, that's what he would get. If they were sentenced to be whipped, that's what he would get. So he's spooked here. But I don't think he was whipped just be scared because he might get in trouble. I think he was scared because he saw this miraculous intervention to free up these guys, who he assumed to be bad guys. The creator of the heavens and the earth opens the doors, and he's got his eyes open. He's thinking, whoa, I'm dealing, more, dealing with here more than just criminals. I'm dealing with people who are friends with God. <laughs> it says, so, so here's what it says. <laughs> Acts 16. <laughs> The jailer called for lights, turned those lights on, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. You get the picture here? Uh, he, he then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He came in there with questions. I know, I know um, sometimes I get the privilege of mentoring younger pastors. And uh, when I spend time with them, I want to work on what's important to them. So I, that's how I want to spend my time. And uh, I'll find out what's important to them by the questions that they ask. So, I, you know, please don't do this. I get this sometimes. They'll, they'll call me and say, hey, Pastor Terry, can I meet with you? And I'll say, yeah, sure. And I'll, I'll block out an hour somewhere and we'll meet somewhere. And the entire time from the minute we start, they'll talk, 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 talk. They'll just fill the air with words. And they completely waste their time and mine the whole time just talking to me. They didn't want to hear anything. They just wanted to talk at me. Um, if you want to learn, ask questions. You should come, take the responsibility to ask the questions. So what kind of questions? Well, you know, I'll give you a few. I mean, you know, things like, what do you wish you knew when you were my age? That's a great question. What's the biggest mistake you wish you could take back and undo? That's a great question. What's the biggest regret? What's, what's the best piece of advice anybody ever gave you? What do you see in me that I don't see in myself? I mean, Those are great questions. Listen, ask them, listen, and write them down and see what the Lord will show you. Next piece of advice for Timothy's item number three, put into practice what you see. As you see them live and you listen to their advice, put into practice what you see. Philippians 4, 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice 
And scripture goes on to say, and the God of peace will be with you. God has lots of names. I like the fact that he chose that particular name to be in that context. One of the greatest blessings that you can give to your Paul is to put into practice what you see. Lisa and I had this opportunity um, to uh, spend an intense five days with a guy named Jack Hayford. Some of you know who Jack Hayford is. Many of you will not. Jack Hayford was... He was this pastor of this large four-square church down in uh, Van, Van Nuys, which is part of Los Angeles. People call, they say these different cities down there, but I, you and I all know that's one city. It's Los Angeles. It's gigantic. Anyway, at a huge church, I would say it's, I think it's fair to say that in the four-square denomination, our denomination, it was a flagship church. Uh, pastor Jack was the spiritual father and mentored so many people in our denomination. And eventually he became the president of our denomination and uh, yet his, his calling and his anointing supersedes that. I really believe that his, his anointing was trans-denominational. He is, is equally respected outside of Foursquare as he is inside of Foursquare. Pretty big, pretty big guy. Um, not physically, but spiritually, he's a giant. He's just this giant. And we had this opportunity to go spend an intense time, of, an, an, an intimate time with him for five days. Small group of people. And uh, he just sat on a chair, and we sat on a chair, and sometimes it was in a, in a meeting room, and sometimes it was in his living room. And um, he talked about things that he thought were important, and we had lots of opportunities to ask questions and study some things together, and it was just a really special time. And um, I've been to a lot of his seminars. I've met him many times. I've had dinner with him in restaurants. I mean, I've had lots of opportunities to pick his brain and ask him questions. And as a pastor, I've gone to him with some things like, you know, you know, as a pastor, things like, you know, talk to me about how you've pastored your church concerning the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because that can be a wild topic in a church. You know, that can be all over the map. So here's this godly man who has successfully passed. I'd ask questions like that, and he would give me those kinds of answers. And so we were sitting, and I watched him many times address that topic. How do you talk about the power of the Holy Spirit with people who really don't agree with it, or they are afraid of it, or they don't want to hear about it. And I've watched him just with love and balance just share what the gospel says. And, and then I've watched the power of that just take place. I've just picked this example because sitting at this week, of this, this week together, um, there was another guy who happened to sit with me the whole time. Lisa was with me, and there was this other guy who was sitting there. And I don't know why we sat together, but his name was John Ilsley. John Ilsley had been a... He was a missionary sent from the Methodist Church of England to Hong Kong. He'd been the missionary there for 30-ish years. He had three doctorates. This guy was a spiritual brainiac, okay? Three doctorates, missionary to Hong Kong from London, sitting next to, you know, humble Terry and Lisa were sitting there. And we get into this, you know, we're talking about different topics, great, great conversations. And he was talking about some decisions he had to make in his life, just, just a regular guy like you and me. And the subject of the Holy Spirit came up. Now, Methodist. Anybody here been from a Methodist church, you know that there's not a lot of attention given to um, exploring that topic deeply. I don't mean to slam my brothers. I was in the Methodist church way before I was in the Foursquare church. I'm just telling you the facts. So he just was, he didn't have this real depth on the topic. And when I said to him, well, how do you feel about 
people ministering with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He didn't say this quote, but I swear I almost heard these words. I never even knew so much as there there was a Holy Spirit. If you know that uh, that quote out of Acts, right? And um, I thought, okay, here is a man who loves God, wants to know more. He's got three doctorates. He knows way more than I'm ever going to learn. But he's asking about this question. What do I do? My mentor, I, it's a privilege for me to call that to Jack Hayford. He wouldn't even know who I am probably. But I mean, he's, 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 he's done it several times. I've seen him do it. I've asked him questions. I should just do, I should put into practice what he said to do. And so I just took a couple minutes and I explained to Dr. John Ilsley about the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I could see his openness. And after about 30 seconds, he starts blurting out speaking in tongues. Now this Methodist man was not planning that that morning. I wasn't planning it that morning. It was powerful. And and I wasn't pursuing the sign. I didn't say, here's how you speak. None of that happened. Here was just somebody who understood there was something new and his heart was open and I shared the truth with him and the power of the Spirit came upon him and he started speaking in tongues. And I knew that man was never going to be the same again. And I knew that, you know, he was an influencer in the Methodist Church of England. I knew they were never going to be the same again because this guy was going to come home from the mission field speaking in tongues under the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. And all I did was put into practice what my mentor had said. Hey, try this. Do this. Really cool stuff. And um, an amazing time, John Ilsley. I, you know, I, I miss him. I'd like to see him again. Okay, another bit of advice for Timothy's. Number four, show honor. Because the most valuable person a thing can give you is not their money. <laughs> it's their time. It's their time. You can always go make more money. Well, theory says you can go make some money somewhere um, but when someone gives you the gift of their valuable time show them honor in all that you can do Romans 12 says be devoted to one another in brotherly love honor one another above yourselves show up on time ask questions write thank you notes serve them you know if they want to meet you at 4 in the morning be there at 3.45 <laughs> yeah there is an actual 3.45 no, most, most of them don't want to meet you at 4 so you can relax you know, if their car needs to be washed, help them wash it. Or if their kids need to be babysat, babysit their kids. But do what you can do to show honor to the ones that you are pursuing because they're giving away their time to you. And it's good. Ask questions, listen to take notes, put into practice, and show honor. Now, I want to pause this for just a minute and um, step back and ask a couple of rhetorical questions. But it's okay to show your hands, and I will try not to embarrass you if you raise your hand. I, I will not embarrass you if you raise your hand. You don't trust me. (laughs) In your field of interest, you're a mom and you'd like to be a better mom. Or you're married and you'd like to have a better marriage. Or you're a business person and you want to show Christ better through your business. In your field of interest, how many of you would like to have the best of the best speak into your life about that field of interest? Ah, wow. Way to go. So you'd love to have a Paul. And at the same time, how many of you might feel a little bit intimidated or maybe a little bit unqualified to be a Paul? <laughs> okay, okay. 
It's almost the same number. Isn't it interesting how we feel insecure a little bit to lead the next generation? So I want to ask a couple more questions. How many of you have ever been hurt by someone and yet you've overcome that hurt? Okay. How many of you have ever failed at something and yet you've learned something through that failure? You're doing great. (laughs) How many of you have ever had a really significant setback in your life and yet you overcame that setback? You are perfectly prepared to be a Paul. Every one of you that have raised your hands on any of those things, because it's often through our failures that we can overcome and that we can be the best examples. I mean, some of you have fought through and survived cancer. Don't you think God could use you to help someone who's battling cancer right now? Some of you people have overcome an addiction to alcohol or to drugs. Don't you think that the Lord can help you to free up someone who's bound by those things now? Some of you have just done things that should have blown up your marriage, and yet somehow by grace, you've admitted your failure to your mate, and God has covered it and taken your marriage to a place you never expected it can be. Don't you think that the Lord could use you to speak life and hope into someone whose marriage is falling apart? I mean, God can use you to be a Paul to someone else. Some of you have raised three kids, and along the ways, they've wandered off places that that they should never have been. And while that was going on, people looked at you and said, what kind of a parent? And they, they say those things that are hurtful and they should never have been said. But your kids, they're doing well. And the, the, Lord is, the Lord has done exactly what he promised. Raise up a child. In the way. And then when they get there, they're faithful to the word and they return to the Lord. And yet there are people around you and they don't know yet about how your knees are calloused or how much time you spent on the floor trying, pleading about the, to the Lord about your kids. Don't you think the Lord can use you to speak into those parents' lives? I mean, I hate to say it, but it's almost an insult to suggest that God can't use you. This is a room full of people with doctorate in life. You are. (laughs) And um, you know that God is calling you not just to have a Paul, but to be a Paul, to be a spiritual mother and father to the next generation. Okay, so let's talk about how to be a Paul and how to be a Paul... uh, um, so that we don't leave anybody out here. Number one, be an example in the way you live. Just be an example. Titus 2, 7 says, in everything, set them an example by doing what is good. Now, I will share with you, now this very humbly is one of my greatest goals in life, and that's to be a godly example. I say that humbly because you only need to spend 30 minutes with me to know I'm not perfect. I mean, 30 seconds, excuse me. See, there's a mistake. (laughs) Yeah, first 29 minutes, my image is saved. 30th minute, out we go. I mean, it takes 30 nanoseconds, and you realize, you know, Terry, you're a little bit immature. You get distractible. You're off on these rabbit trails. You love cars a little bit more than you should. They're just metal, and they're going to burn. True. I mean, you, will, you, you don't have to spend any time with me at all to realize I'm not perfect. <laughs> wow. Let's pray on that topic. (laughs) But I really try. Don't always succeed at this, but I really try to be authentic. I try to be the same person standing behind this pulpit on Sunday mornings that I am on Friday night. I really try to do that. I mean, with everything that's in me, I plan 
to love one woman and serve her faithfully for my entire life. With everything that's in me, I plan to love my children and invest in them as best I can just because with love and with sacrifice. With everything in me, I plan to lead this church with financial integrity and moral responsibility. I mean, as best I can. And I plan on serving God and serving the church until I'm so old that the people around me start to pry my fingers off the pulpit and say, okay, old man, make room for somebody new. I mean, and if somewhere in that process, someone in the next generation comes along and says, wow, I like that. I'm going to try and be like that in my life. That is, that is the greatest compliment. That is the greatest compliment. One of my greatest honors. How or why would you settle for anything less? How would we, any of us settle for anything less? Just live. The way you live can be a spiritual mother or father to the next generation. Okay. Number two, tell stories. Here's what happened. Here's what God did. Now, Psalm 145 says, one generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. Here's what God did. Verse six, they will tell of the power of your awesome works and I will proclaim your great deeds. You know, and this is kind of what we're doing in here today. You know, I just tell you in a story to give examples and Lisa does this too. Um, she's, she has a small group of women um, who are wives of pastors and... Um, and they're just, they get together occasionally, and they're just trying to figure out life, okay? Us pastor boys, we're kind of weird animals to live with, you know, and ministry gets in there, and, and uh, so they get together, and it's not as frequent as it used to be, but they would get together, and they would have breakfast together, and they talk about, you know, what about this? What happens when this happens? What about that? And um, they ask questions, and Lisa tells them stories, and, you know, well, let me tell you what Terry did with this, you know, and they, they learn from, you know, and she'll say, here's how we had a problem, and here's how we prayed, and here's what God did. And telling your stories is one of the greatest gifts that you can give to the generation that's following you. So be an example and tell stories. Number three, share your life. Just open your heart up and let somebody come in there. It doesn't have to be formal meetings. It doesn't have to be a chalkboard. And I, I hope that it's not that. I mean, it can be, but that's the most intimate thing you can do is let somebody into your life. First Thessalonians 2. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Saying we wanted to invite you into our lives so we could do life together. And that's one of the reasons that we invite people into our home. I mean, we've been invited to other people's homes and we invite people into our homes at times and we just want to try to do a little bit of life together. And you can do that. You can do that whether you're 87 or whether you're 17, and God is calling you to do that. I really believe that. And this is really, really important to me because I look backwards. And, you know, I've been giving you these examples over this series, and I think of the names I've mentioned. I think of Bert Smith and Jack Hayford and Dave Veach and my wife and my mom and my dad who's gone now. And the reasons that I'm able to do what I do today is because there is this string of people who have believed in me. A string of people who just believed in me. And for me not to take that in and then give that back would be profoundly selfish. It just would be profoundly selfish to take in what you've been through 
and not share it with someone who you could bless by helping them would just be unbelievably selfish. We're the family of God, the body of Christ, and there's a generation following us that is craving a spiritual father or craving a spiritual mother. And they're saying, give me an example. Show me how. I know there's something special in me. I know I want to do something here. I just need somebody to help me figure out how. And every single one of you, you need a Paul because you will never do all God wants you to do without the right people speaking into your lives and believing in you. I need to say that again. You will never do all God wants you to do without the right people speaking into your lives and believing in you. And you'll never know how rewarding it is to be someone else's Paul, to look at someone else and say, you know, I'm going to take you on like a son or like a daughter. I see greatness in you. I'm proud of you. I believe in you. You can have that more than you ever thought possible. Let's pray. Lord, um, there is so much explosive life in these in, in, in what you have for us in this today. I just pray, God, that as people hear these things, that they wouldn't just settle with good intentions, that somehow those good intentions would transform into actions in people's lives. God, um, I, I just ask for a spiritual um, establishment for our church, that as a core principle here, that we would be known, we would become known and be known for believing in the next generation. Lord, without respect to anything um, about who we are today, I just ask God for the privilege of having a voice with the next generation, that this church would have it, not from the pulpit alone, but from every chair to the other chairs in this place. I ask God for you to put an anointing upon men and upon women, that there would be something, something of wisdom and sensitivity and love and vision, and even more than that, belief, God, that we would see beyond things that are different than what we grew up with and instead would choose to believe in the good things that you've got circulating in their hearts. And Lord, there is not a, a single one of us here that has gotten to a doctorate in life so far that we don't need somebody speaking into our hearts. I ask God for you to soften our hearts and make us available to, to be spoken, have our life spoken into. In Jesus' name. Would you stand now? Let's sing. You see in me. of darkness in my life. You answer and 